0: previously on Chapter Plays. And she grimaces and says, yeah, father. And she motions to the soldiers and the remaining goons, and they begin cleaning up and heading back to the little submarine to go to the bigger warship somewhere out in the uh, Mediterranean. And at this point, uh, we can see Emma, Jean-Pierre, and Shay heading to a safe house. Hi everybody, this is Mike Athey. I'm the GM host and editor of Chapter Plays Podcast, and uh, we're going to have a slightly different episode today Um, due to some technical issues. Unfortunately, I lost the recordings of two sessions, and um, in their place, uh, I'm offering this uh, informal chat with the players about the game uh what it's about what it means to us and uh just about the podcast in general so so, you know we're gonna take a, a little peek behind the scenes and get to know people and what is inspiring us or what we're moving towards in the uh chapter plays podcast so um let's see i'm mike i'm a he him i'm in my 40s and uh as i said I'm the uh, GM host and the editor of the podcast. So let's have everybody introduce themselves. Um, and We'll go in the order on the outline, I think.
1: Sounds good. I'm Drew. I uh, used he, him, or they, them pronouns. Uh, I'm in my 30s. I play uh, Shay, And uh, yeah, no, I've been gaming for most of my life uh every time I, I say like about 25 years uh i had a mild meltdown when i was running a different game i just be like it has been 25 whole years of me gaming so <laughs> uh, so who
2: wants to go next
3: Oh, I'll I'll just if we're like stepping out of order. Um, hi. Oh,
4: whoops. Sorry. Are you <laughs> muted? <laughs> no, I just didn't realize we were.
0: Yeah, don't worry about it. Don't worry uh, much about it. Th-
1: this will get deleted, or we'll we'll add it in as a mm-hmm. special bonus edition where we do things all <laughs> 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 even more scattered than normal.
3: You think we're mm-hmm. gonna get some motherfuckers on Patreon with this shit? No. Oh, mm-hmm. no. <laughs>
1: I don't, <laughs> okay. I don't know. I could probably get like five dollars worth of Patreon people by just continuously posting this to like every single community that I'm a part of. Five whole <laughs> dollars.
3: Five whole uh, dollars and we get rated. Such a deal.
1: Yeah. Uh,
4: right. So I guess um I guess I'll go next. I am Merle. I play Jean Pierre Auclerc. I should have chosen a less complicated name for him because I keep on getting it wrong every time I write it down. Uh, I use they, them pronouns. And heck, I've been gaming since the Thacko days, or at least since some Thaco days. There's probably somebody out there who's still playing like AD&D today. There's always somebody.
3: Oh, there is. Um, But the less said about that. Hi, by the way. Um. I'm Sam. I'm I go by they them. I'm in my 30s. Um, I play Emma Banachek. And I've been gaming for about 30 years in a variety of forms now. Um, Mostly I do like story games. I've been trying to get away from D&D, but D&D just keeps pulling me right back in. It's like the mob in every terrible movie in the 90s.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially nowadays, it is clearly the the reigning champion um, and de facto default um, role playing game.
3: There's a reason nobody's sued them over the fact that they say they're the greatest role playing game experience. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
3: they're, they're the uh, first, the last, and always.
0: <laughs> yes. People. They are eternal. So uh, we are playing a different genre, however, than Dungeons & Dragons. We've been playing uh, what I guess you could call pulp or pulp adventure, specifically um, using a game system called Trinity Continuum. Uh, And pulp is uh, one of those words that kind of gets thrown around a lot, um, especially in the uh, post-pulp fiction era. I think for a lot of people, it has become kind of conflated with a lot of different things. But uh, specifically, the, the kind of pulp thing that that we're doing is more in the vein of the early 20th century pulp magazine short stories that were published uh, in large numbers on very cheap paper, uh, wood pulp paper, which is where the, the term pulp comes from. And... Uh, Yeah, they they had kind of a fairly, uh, I would say, meager origins, uh, coming out in the like post turn of the century, nineteen tens, and but they didn't really kind of reach their peak until the twenties or thirties, and that's the era that uh, our chapter play serial, uh, the Gadget Extraction Team, is set in, and um, basically for a very long time. Uh, Long before Tarantino, or uh, probably even before we were born, uh, the word pulp uh, was synonymous with something that was cheap and ephemeral. So, you know, something that was on par with, like, advertising or comics or newspapers, things that were disposable and mass-marketed. And as a result, like, they tended to get looked down upon. and to be fair, a lot of it was bad. A lot of it was really, really poorly written and cheaply made and uh, just kind of going for the lowest common denominator. But inevitably, there there are certain exceptions to that. And there's definitely a lot of writers that uh, came out of that era that are looked on with far more uh, respect and uh, even admiration than they experienced in their lifetimes. But, uh, Uh, yeah, they deserved. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's a a fair amount of, like, revisionism in dealing with uh, the history of pulp uh, writing. Like, you have certain writers that were relatively obscure in their own time, but because a particular um, academic kind of glommed onto them, they, they gained sort of more fame in their posthumous era than they had in their lifetime. But um, I don't know. I think the thing about these stories is uh, things like uh, The Shadow or Doc Savage or uh, any of the other adventure pulp magazine stories, um, they're built on fairly sturdy stock. Like the formula that they utilize is reliable and is honestly still being used to this day, Um, though in in different guises. Um, But yeah, I think to distinguish the the adventure pulp from the other pulps, because to be clear, this is not, the word pulp is not synonymous with one genre. When they were popular, they covered every base known to man. You had crime pulp, you had detective pulp, you had romance pulp, you had, uh, comedic pulp, you had sports, you had, you know, Westerns, you we had all sorts of stuff. The, the adventure kind of a, pulp. Yeah, go ahead.
3: Oh no, it was kind of the uh, exploitation film of its day where, um, yeah, you know, you had like all, it, it was a mode that could be played in a lot of different genres. Yes. Yeah. Um, Cause yeah, you have like horror, but like you said, you have like horror pulp and everything else. It's yeah. Um, I don't know. That's just always how I thought about it because I came at this kind of scans. Um, a lot Mm -hmm. of B movies in the seventies and eighties started borrowing from old pulp stories, probably because it was in the public domain and cheap enough to get the film rights. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, it's also an easy narrative. Like it's something that you can
3: ready made narrative, easy cinematic Uh scenes because they were writing very in an active style. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, that's sort of uh, what my dad and I used to call Saturday afternoon movies. Was sort of how yeah. I got into the whole thing.
4: A good way to put it.
0: Yeah, and you know, um, a lot of the the very original uh, pulp magazines, like Argosy, and there's there's one that was just called the Popular Magazine, um, <laughs> which were publishing the early pulp stuff. They were uh, they spent like a year or two targeting young boys, like um, what they would call like boys' own adventure stories, which was kind of a, a tradition already established, particularly in England, um, of kind of adolescent fantasies of people at school that are, you know, young adolescent boys going off on wild adventures and things like that. But um, eventually they started targeting, they found that they had an audience for adult readers, uh, male and female. Um, and you know, just across the spectrum really, that were interested in these kind of heightened um, and, you know, sometimes sensationalistic. I mean, if you look, if you look up the word uh, Pulp Magazine cover on Google, you're going to get a lot of very lurid images. Um, they were definitely going for um, the girl and a gun aesthetic of like, if, if we can have a woman in peril on the cover, that's going to sell.
3: So one of my favorites has always been um, there's a men's magazine cover for like nature adventures or something like that. And the uh, tagline on it is weasels ripped my flesh. And it's just a thinking... guy fighting off a bunch of weasels.
4: <laughs> uh, that, that's... I don't that know if a... any of you are familiar with Valsalia, uh, the out of placers. There, mm-hmm. There's a recurring joke, which is literally that just fantasy version.
0: Mm-hmm. Just, Yinglets ripped my flesh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wasn't it, it was into like a Frank Zappa album or something too? Yeah,
3: he he uh took the tagline for uh, one of his albums. Yeah, it and is that's sort of yeah became inform, uh,
0: infamous through that. Yeah, and it, it's there's there's uh there's an earnestness and a uh, sort of crass openness in these things that. Um, is without irony, really. Um, I mean, there's a certain amount of cynicism, I guess, behind some of the exploitive elements of it, but it didn't get really that bad until the 50s. Like, in the peak era that we're thinking of, in the 30s, they were actually considered, like, Time Magazine rated uh, Adventure Magazine as the number one pulp magazine and had pretty good things to say about it. Like, the mainstream accepted it as just part of the, Part of the culture, even if, like, in literary circles, it was frowned upon. Um, and certainly, like, the adventure pulp, specifically, like, its roots in the, the sort of boys' adventure stories and things like Treasure Island, like, all these things that far predate the era, or uh, swashbuckling stories like Alexander Dumas kinds of things, those are definite influence as well.
3: And the Victorian uh, Penny Dreadfuls.
0: Yeah. Yeah. it's a yeah, people like stories of capable protagonists being taken to exciting locations and confronting nefarious personas or just like dangerous obstacles in the wild. And that's kind of what adventure stories are about. They're about going somewhere. It doesn't necessarily have to be an exotic place, but it should be, you know, something with some element of the uh, the exceptional about it. And then, you know having your protagonist, Confronted with a scenario that people in the real world would almost never come across, um, and uh, overcoming it usually with a mix of you know wits, luck, and brawn, um, and you know depending on the, the particular protagonist, they might emphasize one more than the other. But uh, yeah, it's just it's good old fashioned storytelling. It's um, certainly the the short story format, the serialization. Of it encouraged the readers to to hang on to find out what happens in the next episode with the cliffhanger ending, which um, you know, we're all familiar with, really. It's just the idea that you have a hook at the end of your episode of your story or your radio play or your movie or your TV show, where you put the the characters in peril with seemingly little chance of getting out of it, and then you'd have to turn in tune in. The next episode to find out what happened. And uh, yeah, they, you know, arguably Dickens did that <laughs> like this melodrama in general used to do that a lot. So it's coming from this some very hardy, basic literary stock, if it's not especially self-aware or um, you know, I don't know, we're just so used to irony. In, in our fiction now or meta text and stuff like that. They didn't have any of that. Or if yeah, they did, they were very good at covering it. Just
3: bald-facedly sincere.
0: Yeah. And the, you know the pe- people that wrote it were often very colorful characters, or they would invent themselves as colorful characters for the sake of the stories. Um people that had uh I think what Lester Dent was an amateur magician. Yeah. Um, um yeah.
3: <laughs> Uh, no, Maxwell Grant was the amateur magician, I think. That's um, right. You're right. Lester Brother Dent Grant. was like a pilot or an explorer or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um And so, yeah, there was a... Because, yeah, actually, the book I ended up reading that kind of gave me the inspiration for my character to some extent was um, it starts off with uh, Maxwell Grant in a bar doing a handcuff escape for somebody. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah those are the kind of guys they were, yeah yeah um actually, to get a little personal. My grandfather was very much one of those guys who thought of himself as an adventurer who um was really into National Geographic and had all sorts of hobbies, never really completed anything in his life, but traveled a lot and you know enjoyed kind of experimenting with with different kinds of adventures and cool. um yeah, that spirit um, is just, it's inspiring, really, to be around. And um, so, yeah, that that's thats part of the, the heart of this that I think, aside from all the other like technical mechanical elements of like cliffhangers and formulaic plots and villains and stuff, that really appeals to me about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, now chapter plays, the title of our podcast is one of the terms that was used back in the day when they had uh, movie serials. So movie serials basically were like um well serialized movies. <laughs> you had a you had a uh multi-chapter the MCU. <laughs> yes. Basically we're looking at in the modern era very long chapter plays um with those with those uh shared universe movies. Um and certainly superheroes in general owe a lot to Pulps.
3: Oh yeah, absolutely. In fact, I think um some of the first superheroes actually appeared as like pulp short stories before um becoming other things.
4: I, mean, yeah. I don't... Doc, Doc Savage.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doc
3: Savage, definitely. There was um kind of a transition of some of those pulp stories into comic books, and then people yeah. starting to write their pulp serials as like you know the Sunday morning yep. supplement because um, that's where Will mm-hmm. Eisner came out of. Um, mm-hmm. with the Spirit, the yep. Phantom was in there. Flash Gordon, Prince Valiant, Terry and the Pirates—all of those.
0: Yeah, yeah, Uh and those those stories, as problematic as they often are, are still worth revisiting because just from a like storytelling standpoint. Oh, definitely. There's like the really good. Well, I like the art. That's, I mean, I'm, I'm probably like, I look at the pictures first. I like the pretty pictures, but the um storytelling's like very taut, you know, they have to get it out in like little snippets every week or every day. Um, and then you have like a longer strip on days for like developing things out a little more. Um, and yeah, they, they, they cover a lot of ground. Like there's all kinds of stories just with Terry and the pirates, which I have a collection of, um, oh, nice. They they go from you know adventures in the mysterious east to with pirates and uh, assorted warlords and stuff into like survival stories and stories of uh, heartbreak and family reunions and so on. So th- there's there's a lot going on there that you might not think. It's still pretty simplistic and juvenile, but it's it's got variety in it that I really
1: find interesting.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: I mean. And yeah, I mean, most of those, some of them have depth, uh, but there is a, a a, you know, there is more of an aim for breadth than depth. Mm-hmm. Like where it's like, okay, we may not give you, you know, entirely three dimensional emotional characters, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, but we will give you something interesting, whether or yeah. not, uh, yeah. <laughs> whether or not it's all that you know substantive from a kind of like. If you mm-hmm. look at it from multiple directions,
0: yeah, I think people, people's tastes. Well, um, broad generalizations here. Like James Joyce was writing at the time of these things, so it's not that literature, literature and the audience didn't exist for more sophisticated stuff. It's just that I don't think there was as much shame surrounding. The idea of just kind of enjoying your Sunday funny or like watching the the latest episode of the, you know, Flash Gordon serial with Buster Crab on the weekend or whatever. Um, But inevitably, you know, uh, their time came and went basically after the Depression and into the 50s. A lot of those pulp mags became really sleazy and uh, just tacky um like worse than even what their their harshest critics would have said about them because they were just desperate for an audience and they you know TV was not particularly kind to <laughs> to pulp so they went out of fashion but um inevitably as with all these things you know the generation that grew up with it like grew up with the pulp magazines and the especially the movie serials would bring them back and stuff that would influence my generation and then that would influence later people in you know the 90s and early 2000s with things like the mummy so um it's still out there it's it's definitely not as popular as it used to be but um it it has a special place uh for me uh definitely
3: i'd also say the aesthetics are still pretty popular
0: yes uh, people love to to have like the aesthetic
3: yeah, there's that sort of bright, optimistic gloss that that sort of nostalgic gloss that people see a lot of the uh, of that past stuff with, and a yeah. certain escapism. Um, yeah, because there have been a lot of movies that have tried to capture that, and mm-hmm. some of them more ironic, some of them less.
0: Yeah, um, and I think you know with with this stuff. I find that the closer you get to this source, the better it works. Like things that are kind of secondhand pulp. I mean, this is me being overly critical. Uh, Like you could tell when somebody is just taking like, Oh, I want a diesel punk aesthetic, but you know, I'm going to sort of bring in everything that is like, 20th century uh escapism which is not necessarily a bad thing but i don't know i have like a very specific vein that i focus in on um but i don't know what do you guys think do you you guys have a particular element uh of of the genre that sticks out to you
3: well i've just always been a huge uh I don't know how to put this politely, so I'll just go with it. I've been a huge retrofuturism simp for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Um. Just because... Um, I... A big influence on my love of pop culture was the stuff I watched and read, and, you know, I got it mainly through my dad. My dad was really into a lot of that stuff from the 50s and a lot of... Um, mm like when I went to my grandparents' house, then they still had all their old children's books, which were things like, you know, a picture book of uh stories about uh Frank Buck, Bring Him Back Alive Buck. With, like these <laughs> lavish
2: almost wow.
3: I, I'm pretty sure it wasn't Boris Vallejo, but they looked like Boris Vallejo wow. illustrations of animals. It was beautiful. Yeah. Um
2: yeah.
3: And, like all of that sort of stuff, like the Movie picture book of El Cid was another one. Mm-hmm. Um but then on top of that every Saturday afternoon this is where we got the term Saturday afternoon movies at least in my family was um the local syndication affiliates channel 11 and channel 9 used to air their like Saturday afternoon movies which was a B movie they could get mm-hmm. from like the 70s or 80s for relatively cheap to broadcast. Yeah. So Along with like a lot of the, a lot of like weirdly, a lot of like classic Hitchcock films and things like that that they could get easily. Then there was also stuff like Firewalkers or Raiders (laughs) of the Lost Ark or Mm -hmm. the frigging Golden Child of all things. Yeah, big trouble in Little China. So I ended up watching a lot of that stuff that takes off of those like older pulps, and so I was kind of primed. And then I got into actually book criticism. Around the time that sort of retrofuturism was making a comeback, where we had like people doing deco punk and deco diesel yep. and mm. a lot of put too many steampunk books. <laughs> way too many. We, we should have put some steampunk books back. We should have just, uh-huh. like, <laughs> editors should have just, like, the moment an author <laughs> sent them a steampunk manuscript, should have just right. walked right through the author's door, mm. so, dropped the manuscript on the floor, and slapped them across the face. <laughs> but, um, I mean, y- my, y- y- I that happens.
1: Happen to- that happens with all popular media at some point where you it, just get
3: Yeah. You
1: yeah, get because everything. They all
3: start writing to a certain market, but it's mm-hmm. it really just guts me when it happens to something that I actually like. Sure. Like I'm not going to scream about, oh, you know, oh, there was a huge Grimdark boom and everything went to crap. No, that's uh, I'm not gonna do that, but you know, the retrofuturism thing really hit me hard. Um uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. because it was like i would get excited about a book that i found every week and then every week that book would be just 500 pages of disappointment
0: yeah. <laughs> but i think the key there though is that there's there's a nostalgic element to it even if it's not oh, yeah. your own era like you're you're sort of by osmosis absorbing other people's nostalgia for that era Oh, definitely. Um, I mean,
1: not, yeah, not just not just nostalgia. I'd say, uh, but like their excitement, like they're like what they enjoyed about it. Like while it is nostalgia in some level, it's a genuine because of the you know we kind of been talking about how the levels of irony are very low, if any. Yeah, uh, it is. You can sort of feel some genuine excitement when it's well written, when it's you know sort of talked about in a way that is, you know. It's very positive. Yeah. So you get this this sort of like secondhand enjoyment <laughs> of it isn't just the nostalgia. Like it's not. Mm. A lot of these aren't just like because when you, I mean, I, it goes to what Sam was saying before. But if you write just for nostalgia, you end up getting these very like you have to have been there exactly mm. type moments. But or if you, you write towards what, like, what you enjoyed, then you, you really kind of get.
3: Weird and creepy, which is um like you're writing all these things, but then you put in all the offensive elements, and it's like, but you know, it's all nostalgia to me, and then you have to defend something really stupid.
0: Yeah. Huh. Sure. Um Yeah, yeah. Like George Lucas wanting a, a Fu Manchu villain in the Indiana Jones movies.
3: Yeah, or and then doing that in um the Star Wars prequels.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. there's some stuff you can leave behind. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there is. Stuff yeah. should be left in the past, but yeah, then you get like there's but the I think the the drew was pointing to something Sorry. is that no i'm no. it's all part of the same uh point, I think, is that in addition in addition to the nostalgia um or separate from it even is the sense of a positive world outlook, um one that is fairly clear headed and straightforward, which in the modern era obviously is lacking. We we live in an era where we've had to embrace plurality and complexity on a level that no generation before us has. And so looking at stories that feel straight ahead, um, and optimistic, forward looking, but not like weighted down with history. Um yeah. that that's I think that that's not quite it's not yeah, it's not nostalgia, but there there's something inspiring there for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: and there's also the nostalgia on top of it. But yeah, it's I'm, like sure. Yeah, it it nostalgia is always one of those. I don't want to call it like I was going to say it's it can add a little bit of of positivity mm-hmm. uh, to something. Like if you're like, it's hard to not. Enjoy something that you're nostalgic for even if you know Yeah, no, this is just pure nostalgia. This is not this is not I'm not watching or reading something revolutionary. I'm not, you know, I'm not enjoying this because it is a piece of art. I'm enjoying this because it's uh pushing the buttons that make me happy in my brain. Right. And that's that's good too. Like it's not it aka I mean, yeah, you should be critical of it, but you should you shouldn't let that Stop you from enjoying it in the moment, and right. I think, uh, what is it? Uh, yeah, getting that in there, getting that you know, sort of infusing it in there without having it take the whole thing over. It's like a mm-hmm. what do you call it? Uh, I'm going to talk about drink mixing, so uh, <laughs>
5: yeah, sure, yeah, no,
1: it's like it's like adding a little bit of a, a an extra flavor that isn't there for the booze. It's not that it, it's there solely to add a little spice or a little, you know, like when you put yeah. uh, like nutmeg on, in your eggnog that's mm-hmm. not going to do all that much if you just scrape a little bit of it on there but it adds, like it it feels like it adds a lot more than it probably actually does
3: Sure And sometimes it's just nice for something to just be uncomplicated
2: mm-hmm.
3: Yeah Definitely. I've been like kind of struggling with how to put it, but um, there are some movies or some books or some things where you know it doesn't have to be groundbreaking or innovative or something like that. It, it's just all it has to be is a good story, and it can be things beyond that. Certainly, like n- not every every story isn't just like a good story. There's like you know there there's and authors and artists views and things like that, but. Um, it doesn't need to be written with the intent to do something. It just, you know, maybe I just want to write like it, it's, I don't, I don't know what I'm saying anymore. No, well, okay. you,
0: no, it becomes an exercise of technical craft and, um, uh, a very basic story that doesn't have to be about more than what it is. And that's, yeah. um, you know, I think a lot of people try to reach that with certain things like you can argue about like popcorn movies nowadays and like sort of mindless entertainment versus art films. You want to get into that, but like really uh, a very well-crafted thriller or adventure story or mystery or horror story um, can be a piece of art unto itself just by virtue of its craft.
4: Yeah. I mean, keep in mind, uh, Star Wars, the original Star Wars is heavily inspired by uh, a granted Flash Gordon type, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to the original pulps. But there, there's there's a lot of shared lineage there. Oh, absolutely! we yeah. absolutely get to art.
0: Yeah, and it's it's effective and uh, universal. It's the other thing. This stuff doesn't have to necessarily. I mean, it can be specific to an era or a culture, but generally speaking, like. They have a very broad appeal. Um, anyway, so but the weird thing about pulp, though, Adventures, in relation to role-playing games, is how kind of in their own little ghetto that they've kind of been in, um, because of the dominance of things like Dungeons and Dragons. Um it it was one of the first, like, well, not the first, but it's up there in terms of like aside from maybe science fiction and superheroes, uh, of people's idea of saying, well, this is fun if we're playing something that's kind of like Lord of the Rings, but what if we don't want to do that? What if I'm more into Superman or Batman or James Bond? And then uh, you start to get role-playing games coming out in the early 80s. And it's not a coincidence. A lot of those came out around the time uh, after like a year or so after Raiders of the Lost Ark had come out. Um, which in terms of pulp adventure stories, I think is probably the best for me. Like, just, it's my ideal. Um, I know it's not a perfect film, but um, it, it has that right spot nostalgia-wise and just uh, appreciation-wise for, for what I like about these things. And uh see, so yeah, I think a lot of other people were inspired by it. Um, not all of the pulp stuff was necessarily adventure, like Call of Cthulhu predates most of the Adventure Pulp role-playing games that came out. Um, and You've heard of that probably. It's based on the Cthulhu Mythos of H.P. Lovecraft, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's <laughs> cosmic horror. I'm sure it, it. it's great, it's just it's not for me. Um, the stuff that's more in my vein was stuff like Daredevils or the James Bond 007 RPG, um, Mercenary Spies and Private Eyes. Um, And the Dark Horse of Dark Horse, uh, the Indiana Jones role-playing game from 1984, which was very poorly reviewed um, and is still poorly reviewed in in retrospect, but for me was a big deal um, because Raiders was a huge deal to me. Um, It sort of brought to life... uh, these kind of vague notions of adventure and exploration and national geographic stories and things like that, that I'd kind of grown up with and made it for me at the time, contemporary as a little, what seven year old or eight year old or whatever it was. Um, and so the Indian Jones role playing game comes out uh, around the time of temple of doom. And um, <laughs> it's actually a really cool system. And then it's like, it's trying. It's not trying to be a simulation of reality, which a lot of role-playing games in that era were trying to do. It's trying to obey the rules of uh, the Indiana Jones movies, um, which themselves are obviously pulp adventure stories. And um, so... <laughs> but the problem was, they only provided you with Indiana Jones as a character, and then you had, you know, Willie Scott and short round and Wuhan and Marion Ravenwood and Sala and Jock, the pilot. Like you either got to play Indy or you had to play one of his sidekicks. They <laughs> didn't make rules for making, making your own character until the end of the, the, the system's oh lifespan. Um, but the thing I liked about it was, uh, because it wasn't very popular, what happened was eventually they just focused on solo adventures for it because they knew people just wanted to play indie. And what they did is they would adapt the old Marvel Comics Adventures of Indiana Jones comic book stories into adventures. And they would like use this Invisitext thing where you had like a little red piece of plastic that you would put over to read the wow. secret message and stuff. And it's sort of like a cross between a choose-your-own-adventure and like a role-playing game.
4: Well, kind and... of like, sounds kind of like the Lone Wolf books. Yeah, exactly.
0: Right, but... Yes, yeah. And uh, I loved it for all its flaws, and I had all of it at one point, but, um, yeah, that was, that was the thing that got me into, I had gotten into role-playing through Marvel Superheroes, which was the, um, TSR adaptation of the Marvel Comics, um, enjoyed that a lot, and that was definitely more popular, but I always wanted to play Indiana Jones, and nobody wanted to play with me, um, (laughs) and it was a bummer, but, um... Yeah, I played through all those Solo Adventures, had my own little like, you know, head canon about the adventures of Indy after Raiders and uh yeah, it was it was uh, a big influence on me. And uh I think really like that was probably the heyday of pulp adventure, unfortunately in terms of both like public popular culture and also role-playing games. Um and even I mean, then, it it was a little bit on the edges. I I have
4: to, I I have to note, uh, at least one one that I don't remember it very well now, but I remember loving it at the time. Uh, there was Young Indiana Jones. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That sure.
0: was it. Was like on the History Channel.
4: I don't think it was on the History. Jesus. What?
0: It was on some weird. Nice it was a ten- it was intended by Lucas to be an education series, so <laughs> well, you had um yeah
2: yeah
1: I know that I saw it in school. So clearly uh, mm. he did everything right, and there wasn't anything. <laughs> uh, there were no lazy teachers who were just trying to get mm. through a day. N- nothing, nothing weird or wrong about. It. No, I. But
2: yeah,
1: <laughs> uh, but. Yeah, to, to kind of bring that around, uh, I think there were there were some good. I don't, know, I don't want to say they're good. Uh, again, I don't want nostalgia to, to completely take over. But in the nineties, I mean, nineties, early two thousands, that's when the original adventure game came out. But there was also uh, I'm trying to think of some other ones that Castle I know of- ex- was
3: sort of yeah on that. yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah definitely.
1: But yeah, there were there definitely uh,
3: role playing games.
1: There was a lot going on. I mean, I don't want to say a lot.
3: I think... Space 1899 or whatever it was. Um, yeah. There were, like... The 90s had, like, a whole bunch of those games. Um, mm-hmm. I actually was, like... I've been a huge fan of Adventure for a while. But there was nobody to play it with me. Um, the way I got into it was... I was at a used bookstore back in, like, the mid-2000s. And I saw this book, and at the time I was running a little low on cash, so I was like, oh man, I saw that on the front of the book it had like this 10 cents thing, and I thought, oh man, 10 cents for this book? And it's got a (laughs) Warren Ellis story in it? Well, it's like, you know, pulp stories, and it's got Warren Ellis, and I'd accidentally like paid 15 bucks for a role-playing game, but I didn't realize that until I was at checkout and handed over the card. So I ended up paying like $14 and 90 cents more than I thought I did for a role-playing game that I had no (laughs) idea how to play.
0: So you literally thought it was 10 cents.
3: Yeah. Well, that's what the price on the cover (laughs) said. (laughs) I was using Arizona iced tea logic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the
0: white wolf had a lot of problems for everything. White wolf in that time. um, So adventure with the exclamation point, like we we pointed out, came out in the early two thousands, I believe um was part of a series called aeon or trinity depending on when the lawsuit happened um (laughs) so it was like they're 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 a go at having a modern day science fiction-y kind of setting so they had a future setting too aeon was the sort of star trek future with a bunch of psychics You had a Baron, which was a uh postmodern take on superheroes which nobody in the world had ever done up until that point apparently going by the editors <laughs> notes um and, uh, uh,
1: one thing you should never do in <laughs> 90s uh, white wolf books is read the editor notes uh yeah there's some uh unfortunate uh hopping of one's own farts going on there <laughs> <Yeah>. that
3: it, <laughs> weren't they constantly slagging off on literally everybody else in the scene yeah 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 yeah, yeah
0: like anyways, so I mean, it, it, very yeah. very Gen X college era attitude. um but adventure was unique in that it was like the genre, fairly irony free, fairly straight ahead and fairly affectionate, which was not the tone of anything else white wolf was putting out at the time. um yeah. and yeah, it had a lot of innovative little mechanics um it used the storyteller system somewhat adapted, um, somewhat changed for the the Trinity Universe, so to speak, and uh, I think the first real big difference in it was the use of um, dramatic editing, which was this idea that the players could have input on the outcome of the story more more so than you would traditionally have. Like they could step outside of their role as a character and say, as a player, I want to write in or edit in this element or idea. Um, it's not necessarily the only time that's ever happened in role-playing games, but as far as like a mainstream story and connecting it to pulp stories, um, the original adventure was the first one to do that. But, um, let's back up a little, um, let's talk a little more about like what our personal touchstones for pulp stuff are, because I've talked at length about Raiders. So what else, what else, what other stuff was, was percolating in your guys' minds with this, with this genre?
3: I think pretty much everybody pinged off of the mummy, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Except
0: me.
2: I
5: was just, yeah. I was yeah, uh,
0: it wasn't was good that, enough.
3: That is <laughs> absolutely fair. Um, I, I think I it's a, understand. it's a
0: generational thing. It, it, if yeah. I'd seen it 10 years before, I would have loved it probably, but I think it yeah. felt like everything was going to be compared to Raiders for me or Indiana Jones in general. So like, it just it didn't hold up as well for me. But having it said is, that, I'm grateful for its existence and keeping the genre alive in the minds yeah. of people because yeah.
3: It is absolutely exactly what it has to be, um, which is what I love about it. Um mm-hmm. it does wink at the audience a little, but it winks in the audience the right way. Mm-hmm. Like it winks at them in a way that it's like using a lot of um like vintage slapstick comedy tropes yeah. or like the kind of dialogue that had come out in 1930s and 40s movies and that's the way that it's sort of winking at the audience instead of like going full bore on irony. And yeah, it's a much different movie when you're like 11 years old and have never managed to catch Raiders on TV or rent it from the video store. And or see like it in the theater. Yeah. Or seen it in oh, the yeah. theaters because yeah. it came out literally when you were born. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. Yep. And, you know, so that was like that was sort of and i know this is blasphemy to say um my first a- exposure to indiana jones was temple of doom and i was wondering <laughs> you know they start out with uh kate what's her name singing anything goes yeah i'm like okay when do they get to the part where there's actually like a thing here because it goes from the nightclub scene mm-hmm. to them talking in the jaw jo- you know basically like one scene of things I don't care about to another scene of things I don't care about. (laughs) Then they eat the monkey brains. And by then I'd already lost interest at like five fucking years old.
4: Sure. Um, Yep. I was just talking to my husband. I I have not actually ever seen that one.
0: Yeah. It's It's, interesting. It's an artifact of its era. It's slumming Spielberg. It's not, it's like cruising on like minimal effort throughout. Um, and it's 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 got a lot of lazy, uh, gross, problematic stuff in it. Um, it's basically yeah. what Canon
3: Films would have done if Canon Films put any effort into their movies.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's a good way of putting it. It's like way better than, than you know, Firewalker or King Solomon's Mines, but still pretty bad.
3: <laughs> Speaking of which guess, which, guess what two pulp movies were the first ones I'd ever seen?
0: Yeah, yeah I saw that <laughs> on your list there.
3: Yeah. Um, no, it was just because the way I used to get into movies, like back in the day, is my dad would be channel surfing, and then I'd see something like a guy take, you know, I'd see like this guy climbing past this skull, and suddenly mm-hmm. we'd be watching like the last 10 minutes of Legend because I'd go, that looks scary, let's do that. Yeah. Or, you know, right. like the batshit ending of Big Trouble in Little China because I'm like, <laughs> that looks awesome, let's watch this. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, I see this guy, like, pull a severed leg out of a river, like, in the middle of this nighttime scene, and I'm like, I want to see this. (laughs) Sam, that's King Solomon's Mines. You don't want to see that. (laughs) No, it looks really cool. No, Sam, I know that guy's Richard Chamberlain. We're not watching this. (laughs) And to his credit, he watched, like, about five minutes of it, Mm -hmm. and was much more lenient the next weekend when I wanted to watch Willow for the eighth time. Hey, that one's a classic. (laughs) But eight times, eight times, Will. <laughs> <mean>, eight times <laughs> in how long a period? A period of like they aired it like once every other week. Okay, <laughs> yeah. maybe a little. Uh, so we're it talking like, like a within a
1: calendar year, uh-huh. if not, if not half that. It's like a seasonal yeah. thing. It's, like it's a watch.
0: seasonal Sheen thing. Song, was they would yeah.
3: get these movies and they'd rotate them through. Yep. Yep. And yep. Right. Willow was like. <laughs> At like eight years old, that was the hardest shit I was allowed to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was oh, on Saturday afternoons and it was messed up. Yeah. It's, it's pretty messed up. I still yeah, like yeah, yeah, cringe yeah. with the pig scene. But no, in any case, because that was it, like yeah. basically, <laughs> I,
4: one of my major phobias. Ooh, that dumb,
3: movie. awful canon pulp movies that were trying to rip off the success of Raiders of the Lost Ark were my yeah. first thing from the genre. And then so then when I saw the mummy, that was like the first actual good one. Yeah. And it was right around the time where i started realizing and this is getting a little into tmi but i was realizing that certain things i was doing were actually experiments with my gender mhm and so seeing that movie mm. with that aesthetic and like yeah yeah those outfits i was like i want that <laughs> please yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, before there wasn't like a lot of that. There were things I was pinging off of when I was younger. True. Um, sure. Weirdly enough, like Star Wars was one of them for God knows what fucking reason. Um, mm-hmm. But the Mummy was like kind of. I can point to that as kind of a tent peg of that was the point where my my dysphoria started going in the direction of. Um, mm. Oh hey, look at that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, um, there's, there's the popular joke about how... Uh,
3: my sexual the, orientation is the mummy.
1: <laughs> yeah, basically.
3: Uh, the, the entire cast of it. the mummy, yeah.
1: Yeah, like, the, the number of bisexual people in the world, like, uh, quintupled <laughs> after the release of the mummy.
5: Uh, just because it
1: was, you know, there were, you know, Look, stuff about the three genders. Uh, yeah, everyone and then being be. the... Yeah, uh, a,
0: lot of, a lot of very pretty people in yes. beautiful costume in a yeah, it, it was pretty God, like, pretty lavish in God a non boring period
4: piece movie too. A
0: true. Yeah. God.
4: Once he's rehydrated, <laughs>
3: <laughs> Arnold Vosloo could get it. Um, yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Uh-huh.
3: Even in Darkman, a little bit he could get it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How about uh, how about uh, what's that movie? Um, uh, the one with uh, John Claude Van Damme. Oh God! The John Woo movie. Oh, Hard Target. Is he in uh, that? He as an Irish guy, I think. Hang on, because now I got to look this up. I apologize for hello, all
3: two of our listeners. I apologize. <laughs> for on the the this uh-huh. um, this
1: wonderful tangent into
0: Arnold Vosloo, two is more yeah.
3: than Darf- Arnold Vosloo. Um, let's see. Oh, wow. He was in gore. Jesus. There was a gore movie. We don't talk about. Yeah, there was. Sorry. No, not only was there a gore movie. I'm sorry. Speaking of shitty pulp books, Mm -hmm. um, not only was there a gore movie, (laughs) the sequel to the gore movie was on Mystery Science Theater 3000.
4: Good Lord.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, I've seen that one. (laughs) that one yeah i know what the one you're talking about yeah
3: and Mm -hmm. yeah hard target he apparently played a dutch guy
0: yeah he was uh he was sort of like the the uh you know the enforcer the physical equal of uh john claude van damme's badass cajun (laughs) quote-unquote in that movie it's not a good movie but i enjoy it yeah i mean no
3: it's it's um Yeah, no, he, I guess he played Ivan to the general Zaroff analog to cycle back into pulp.
0: Yes, yeah, Yeah, pretty um, much.
3: It's hard target for those who haven't heard or like experienced any part of this. Um, (laughs) was originally based off of a very famous pulp story called The Most Dangerous Game. Yep. Um, which unfortunately, as I found out, is not about diplomacy or risk, but is about mm-hmm. a guy who hunts humans and wears yeah. too much lipstick, according to
0: the writer. Yeah. Actually mm-hmm. have you seen the um have you seen the thirties movie adaptation by the I
3: haven't, the, actually. I, came, I
0: need to. It's really good. It's Joel McCrae, Faye Ray, um I forgot who's the, the the bad guy in it, but it is that is very archetypal pulp. Like the way it's show the way it's filmed, um the stereotypes, the um the sets. All of it is just beautifully pulp. Um, the villain was Leslie James Banks. Okay.
3: Sure. Um, <laughs> Shakespearean <laughs> actor. Um yep. so yeah, yep. no, they 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 put effort into it, which yeah I yeah. appreciate. Yeah. I mean
1: Shakespearean actors are always you know they're gonna give if not well, they will well, they will play to the chief seats. Look, let's uh, put it this time. way,
0: it's it's 1930s Shakespearean actors. Yeah, (laughs) we have a theatrical actor from the 30s doing a very, very broad, very arch uh, villain role. And I love it. It's perfect. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Oh, my Um, God. Captain Hook, too. I I just, (laughs) until this very moment, completely had wiped from my brain probably one of my first non-Indiana Jones Mm -hmm. uh, brushes with Pulp Adventure. Yeah. I saw the Phantom movie.
2: Yeah. Oh,
3: man. Oh, yeah.
0: Slam evil. Saw,
4: I oh, saw more than once God. as a kid.
0: <laughs> my uh,
3: dad and I watched that a couple of
0: years ago. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> the first time Wait. I saw it. It's uh, it's interesting. Patrick McGowan is in it, strangely, yeah. um, as the, the older Phantom. And they go for it. I mean, they give him the whole purple outfit, the jumpsuit, which is striking it- and hard to understand. <laughs> In a film I, context. I freaking wish...
3: Okay, we've been talking a lot about how Pulp is, for the most part, irony-free. Yeah. And given that movie and that cast, and the way it was filmed, and the way they absolutely went for it, I would have appreciated just, you know, a little bit of a wink, a little, you know, smir- a little, like, something other than stone-faced, bullheaded um nonsense, for lack yeah. of a better term. Sure, yeah. Like, I vibe with that movie uncomfortably on some level sure but i cannot it, it is just
0: so damn silly in the wrong way i think part of it is there's a kind of tv movie element to it there's there's something about it it doesn't quite pass the bar cinematically for me um especially in the action i don't think it's bad but it reminds me a lot of like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Xena Warrior Princess kind of level production. Yeah,
1: no. yeah. Uh, Having I mean, watched like... it on TV, I I definitely felt like, oh yeah, this is probably the right way to watch this. Like watching this in a, <laughs> in a movie theater, like with it being the only thing on there, would probably be I don't mm-hmm. want to say torture, but it would it would be not ideal because it is very mm-hmm. much. It's a very light movie. Like yes. it's very, it takes itself very seriously, but it's not a serious movie. Nope. <laughs> it's just like, uh, yeah, you, it's enjoyable if you have the option of just wandering off at any point. <laughs> 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 yeah, they
0: come back. They say, oh, there's, oh, they're still in the jungle. Okay, well, I'll go yeah, get yeah. myself a sandwich.
3: Um yeah, that is, uh, I listed that as one of my goddamn touchstones because it is um, visually
0: yeah. I think it, yeah. it serves and like there's the whole Catherine Zeta er, oh, yeah. jones and yeah, her yeah. uh female pirate air pirates gang and treat Which, Williams chewing up the scenery as a it's like a billionaire or like a rich guy who wants to control the world or whatever.
3: Something, something like that. that. It it's weird and he's like reincarnated into somebody else's body. Yep. Um Kind of makes me wish that I'd actually, like, my parents had let me see the shadow when there was any chance of me seeing the shadow.
0: I saw that in a theater and was upset with it. Um, I can understand that. It was... It, okay. okay. That one... one of my
3: favorite kill scenes. But.
0: That one has some really Rich. nice effects, but I thought the tone was way off for me.
4: That's okay, a, I just remembered. I I was remembering Allie the Alderman. ending of the Shadow and was yep. thinking it was from the Phantom because that was uh, a, a
0: yeah. Pretty, sure.
4: pretty sadistic ending there. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no that's uh that's actually more true to the Doc Savage story. <laughs> the idea of performing a lobotomy on an enemy and then trapping him in an institution. That's that's more something that Doc Savage would have done. The Shadow normally would just kill the guy. Um uh, <laughs>
3: He would just a, kill the he. He would basically just break the guy's brain, and leave. Well, he wouldn't lobotomize yeah. him, but he'd like,
0: yeah, or shoot him.
3: I mean, it's like and shoot him. The, yeah. The the the. Also, uh, Mulcahy, how how was I so
0: betrayed by you, you bastard? Yeah, that that guy. Well, don't get me started on Highlander. Um, so <laughs> let's talk about something else we like. So, <laughs> Adventures of Tintin. Oh. Adventures of no. Tintin. Drew yes. Drew has that written down. That's a really good one.
1: Sure. yeah and for me it's a it's a big childhood thing mm-hmm. uh i uh, i went to a uh went through a french immersion program when i was young so Tintin is you know three times the uh the, the level of popularity in, in any french-speaking country mm-hmm. uh and yeah so those are like the first between that and the asterisks uh mm-hmm. Comics like those were me learning French like a French child would, uh, mm-hmm. you know, read all these goofy stories, and uh, yeah, so like I, I definitely have put a little bit of uh, I guess it, it would be uh, Captain Haddock uh, mm-hmm. into into Shay, like the the kind of the, the saltiness, the
5: uh, oh, yeah, the
1: the willingness to just sort of. Muscle things out even if uh, <laughs> things aren't going well. Uh, like that—that's definitely a vibe that I was trying to go for with my character.
3: I, yeah, I do definitely see the bull in the China to- China shop thing, but without the like the like constant physical comedy aspect of it.
1: Yeah, like. I, I could probably do more physical comedy. I love doing physical comedy, like but it's always weird to speak physical comedy because
0: Yeah, yeah describing yeah. somebody doing something wacky is is not the best medium for that, really. Yeah.
3: It, it's a uh, lot easier when you like I try enjoy to do something it. awesome and then just buff the roll. Yeah.
0: I will say, yeah, Jean Pierre is is more open to the sort of chaplain esque um oops I got in a jam kind of thing.
2: Yeah. I mean Networks.
4: I will say like uh, I I semi intentionally made Jean Pierre to be a sidekick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like he's not the most serious character. He's not like not as cool as he to some extent thinks he is. Mm-hmm. Well, he, doesn't, he doesn't think he's that cool. But uh he's not as suave as he thinks he is. Sure. But yeah, like
2: No, that's I mean, a lot yeah, of fun little, to play. A little, a little,
4: a little, a little, a, yeah.
0: And I, I think, yeah, uh, in a team format, like, actually, most of these comics uh, and, and movies, as much as we try to think of them as featuring one character, they are always, like, ensemble casts with, you know, perhaps one central protagonist, but chiefly, like, a fairly even share of screen time given to the other characters. Um, they, they're always group efforts. They're, they're always a little bit of a team going up against something bigger than themselves. Even if, like, sometimes some of them are just a plain old uh, liability, like Willie Scott in The Temple of Doom is pretty much just a damsel in distress for most of that movie, and it's frustrating. Um, At least they give Short Round a chance to kick some ass and do some stuff. I mean, Big big ups to K. Hu Quan who reappeared in (laughs) everything everywhere all at once.
4: I just saw that. We've been robbed. Yep. Yeah, no, he, can you can career. you
0: imagine if they would given him decent roles? Good yeah.
4: lord. He's 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 a hell of a talent. Yes. Yeah. Um, David Niven.
0: Oh, yeah. I even mean, David, David Niven is our uh, we cast quote unquote the characters, so we have pictures of them and uh, I, I was you guys... just
3: wondering if uh, I, I stepped out for a second, so um no yeah.
1: Yeah, we were talking about Hey uh, Hu Kwan Hey Short
3: yeah. round from Templeton. Oh, of Doom. yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm I'm sorry. I didn't see that. I, I haven't seen that movie yet. So, yeah.
1: You you should see it. Everyone it's should w- it's see not, that movie. I don't know. Yeah.
0: It's Everyone worth seeing. seeing. I should see. Yeah. It. The more the more people tell you to see something, I know you're not going to want to see yeah. It. <laughs> yeah, not gonna, yeah, it. Yeah. I, I'm All not right. going to tell you to see it.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Mainly, <sighs> I I there. say that. It, it, When I say everyone should see it, it's just because it's one of those movies that even if, you like, you will know if you don't like it, and it's fine to not like it, but it is, I don't even want to call it an experience. It's just a well-made, fun movie. Like, it's at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. it is, you know, it is what it is. Like, it's nothing, it's not trying to be something super amazing. (laughs) Sure. But it, you know... Look, like, it
3: was by the directors of The Death of Dick Long, so I'm going to love it. But, yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I'm just think of that, though, just thinking of K.H. Kong. Uh, I don't know if the Goonies. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pulp. Mind yeah. I don't remember the Goonies. I know I've seen it a bunch of mm-hmm. times, but sure, those were uh, all before the age of 15. I don't remember much of it.
1: Yeah. So as as the local Portlander, uh, I had to watch the Goonies at least uh, ten times before they let me leave the state. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> it was kind of a cultural touchstone here, strangely enough, because it, you know it's it's actually from the coast, uh, but uh, you know Astoria is known for one thing; it is the Goonies, uh, and <laughs> it's funny because it's actually uh, it's shot all along. Uh, the sort of uh northern Oregon, southern Washington coast, mm-hmm. like that big rock. That's uh, that's uh, what is it? Not Castle Rock. Why am I doing that right now? That's uh,
3: uh that's William Castle's. That's, uh, that's the production company they founded to make William Castle films.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to. There, that big rock is is yeah. It's at it's at Cannon Beach. That's why I was like, uh. Haystack Rock. That's what it is. That's, that's like an hour down the road from Astoria. Mm. Uh, maybe not that far, but it's definitely like, it is not the same city. Uh, (laughs) and it's, it's funny because you'd think, oh yeah, we'd hate that. But no, it's just like another, another wonderful coast, Oregon coastal city. Uh, and it's just, you know, it's a lot of like, I have childhood memories of that, of that rock. Mm. Uh, Even before I watched the movie, like I climbed all over that thing. I'm not, not too high. It's a big rock, and uh, it's a big rock in the middle of the ocean. I'm not middle, middle enough, middle enough in the ocean that if you fall off of it and you're a child, you will probably not have a good time. Uh, And so, yeah, but it's yeah, it's it was a lot of fun, lot of so yeah. Whenever I see he's uh, that rock there's always a little part of me that goes hey that's that's I've been there that's that's my fun child place
0: <laughs>
1: so well, when it it's yeah, the end mean, of the movie it's yeah, like yeah, I think oh, the oh yeah the,
0: the thing about the Goonies is that it's something happening in their backyard um, it's sort of giving the idea that this this kind of adventure could await you a uh, little ten year old Mike uh, if you just had the right mix of people and a treasure map, you could go off on one of these wonderful adventures. Um, yeah, and, you know, I, I don't know how well it holds up. Uh, I haven't watched it in a long time. But that's another one that definitely, like, in terms of, like, the boys' adventure kind of story, um, like, that that's sort of keeping that, uh, that genre alive, or at least making a point of referring back to that whole thing
1: yeah i i will not pretend it 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 holds up because uh like i would say like oh yeah no it definitely holds up and then part of me is like going yeah but this is a movie made to poke every single nostalgic bone in your body drew you you need to take that into account like (laughs) it's still you know at the end of the day i think it's still a fun yeah you know it helps that it's a light fun movie So that it doesn't like you can't really, it's not like a super deep movie or anything like that. So it's like, okay, yeah, it's hard for that movie to completely like.
0: No, uh, I don't know. I think, I think there's a, I think it's easy to say, well, this movie isn't trying to be very good. So it's all right if it's not good. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think, again, we go back to like the idea that these stories are very simple and basic and. I think, you know, some of them are just better made than others. Like, yeah. I think it, the Shadow is not as well made as the Mummy, for instance. Um, and I don't think the Mummy's is as well made as Raiders, but I, I, I enjoy them all at some level. Um, I'm probably not going to watch the Shadow again anytime soon, but I, I can appreciate, the, like, I think the, the cab they had in it was pretty cool. It was like this weird retro-futuristic... Uh, a car. lot
3: of the production design work was great because yeah. the only reason I remember any part of that movie from the like 10 seconds that I watched on Sci-Fi Channel before we switched to something else because <laughs> my mom was there and wanted to watch HGTV um, was it was the scene where the guy gets up. Uh, it, it's the kill scene with the microscope.
0: I don't remember that.
3: Oh, basically the. Um,
4: oh, he... God.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I just remember that. Oh yep. Um. So all right, Be- because it was kind of in sentence fragments. So first, content warning for eye trauma for the next bit. So just like skip ten <laughs> seconds until I stop talking. Um. Uh. Essentially, like there's this scientist whose assistant kills him, and the way he kills him is, um, his microscope has this dial on the side, and he turns the dial,
4: and a knife pops out
3: through the lens and sh- and stabs him through the eye.
4: Wow. Like what is? It? There was a message that he saw it like right before the knife popped out.
3: Right, I can't remember oh, what that was
4: for. The something ironic.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But yeah, t- that was uh Tim Curry was killing the guy.
0: Oh okay.
3: Um, I think oh, Tim Curry. Tim Curry. It's
0: he's incorrigible murderer. He's a jewel. Yeah,
3: yeah. wonderful and an absolute pip on Twitter. Um, I have no notes or complaints about his Twitter whatsoever, which is. Weird for me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, All right. Well, let's let's talk a bit. Talked a bit about what our touchstones were. Um,
3: Before I completely interrupted things, which I apologize. No, that, no, uh. that's cool.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the the current uh, iteration of adventure. Um, that the, the game that we're playing is Trinity Continuum, which is uh, basically Onyx Path uh, have kind of taken up the mantle from White Wolf. Um, They've done Kickstarters for some of the old uh, White Wolf properties, and one of them happens to be Trinity slash Aeon, and uh, they initially came out with something called Trinity Continuum, which was sort of their modern day um, cinematic adventure rules, which um, has a lot more in common with the original adventure than it does with Aeon or Aberrant. Um, And thank God. Yeah. So it's it's in a, a sort of Alternate reality, um, a kind of heightened movie version of our world in which there was an incident in the 20s where uh, what they call flux or telluric energy in the 30s is what they call it. Uh, This flux energy, basically quantum matter, spills in from alternate universes into our world and starts giving people weird powers. And these are not like... X-Men powers, at least not yet. These are more like uh the powers that we perceive in adventure narratives of protagonists having a certain amount of plot immunity that allows them, for instance, to escape a crashing plane by leaping onto a rubber raft and inflating it as it falls. Like this not plausible really, but um you know, certain level of suspension of disbelief is extended to those circumstances because it's kind of fun. And it's, you know, suspenseful and outrageous. Um, But it can also, you know, come up in in smaller ways where the character happens to always know somebody whenever he's in a particular place that can give him the information he needs to make the plot go forward. Or he happens to be a brilliant detective and therefore is able to draw a lot of conclusions that most people would never be able to draw. Um, Or they're just like an extremely skilled combatant who, uh, you know, can fight ten armed men uh, unarmed and, and successfully uh, beat them. So, th- those kind of characters, um, they're, they're called talents in uh, the Trinity Continuum universe. And that's basically what um, most of the characters in uh, adventure, or the PCs, are. Though they're slightly different variations. Like, we have uh, two Daredevils, uh, which is a type of talent. These are the guys that are sort of the Indiana Jones or James Bond or, you know, a lucky, heroic, um, action movie protagonist, basically somebody that's luckier than most people, but also pretty capable. And then we have one that is a um, stalwart, which is sort of a proto superhero. Sort of uh, Golden Age Superman is probably the the right barometer for that. It's somebody that's clearly above human potential, but isn't like off into the stratospheric like god-like demigod kind of persona that you see with uh, a more modern version of a lot of the like dc superheroes um and then the one we don't have is a a mesmerist which is uh i guess the shadow would be an example of that it's somebody that has powers that are sort of psionic but uh, are subtle usually and uh, they could do things like Manipulate your mind or erase memories or speak to you telepathically or move things with their mind, um, that kind of stuff. And yeah, so, uh, the, the Kickstarter had a manuscript which we've been using for the, um, the additional rules for the, the talents in the 1930s for the, um, uh, Aeon Society centered stuff. And, uh, it's been working pretty well. I think, um, you know, I love dramatic editing. I think it's a great idea. Yes. And oh, yeah. I love the, the flavor of all the gifts. Um, the, the special powers that the characters get are really fun. Because it's always, in some ways, a riff on a trope. Or some sort of familiar fictional um, archetype or formula that you see all the time. Like uh, Emma's ability to make the villain make a speech about their plan, for instance.
3: Yeah, the famous von Von villain speech is uh yeah but before i die yeah. um which is an awesome power um and that actually that's one of the things i love about the system because that's how i build characters anyway is figure out what i want them to do or what like lines i what touchstones and lines i want them to have um mm-hmm. and then build from there so you know like having someone just be able to like, yeah, they can give the villain monologue. They can like sort of do the, a lot of her stuff is balanced because one of those touchstones is like the old Errol Flynn, Basil Rathbone sort of movies where they'd like have the duels up the staircase and like on top of walls and over tables and stuff like that. So I took yeah. it on the head of the mm-hmm. for things like that and, you know, jumping out of planes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was just a lot of, it was just, a very easy way to sort of like go one-to-one and i really appreciated the hell out of that
0: yeah i think if you tried to do that in something like dungeons and dragons you'd have to have your class specifically built for that like i guess right. the swatchbuckler maybe is the closest i don't know. do they have that in D? they
3: yeah. do i think it's like a secondary rogue or secondary uh, like rogue subclass yep yeah
0: yeah, yeah. But even then it's not you' you don't get all that other stuff like you don't mm-hmm. get the the villain monologue stuff you don't get the like sort of arbitrary luck kind of things necessarily um
3: a lot of that stuff is um a lot of the older school and trad gamers and stuff like that put a lot of the stuff that you know would be that that's mechanized in um adventure as mm-hmm. what's called fluff or flavor. It's yeah. like, well, why do you need that? Why why do you need abilities to do that? Why do you need mechanics to do that? That's just fluff. That's just flavor. What are you doing that for?
0: Which is true up until the point when you're playing a game and you want to do that and they tell you you can't or you roll right. bad and you're like, this character isn't achieving the thing that I want them to do. So that's yeah. that's definitely like the big relief of this system compared to something like D&D is that it is specifically structured to allow you to do that stuff. You You get to do it all the time.
3: All right.
1: Uh, Craig's a uh, wiener. Yeah. Hey, uh, <laughs> wait, are we being mean to Craig or not? I I, I, did, I didn't get the memo. Uh, I,
3: I think we can bully Craig. Craig is a bot.
1: Yeah, that's harsh but fair. It's uh, not. Sa-
3: Craig
0: isn't sapient yet. Yeah, that's that's true.
4: True. That That works until the singularity hits.
0: Right. He has no feelings to hurt. Um. So yeah, you were saying that uh, you were going to play a character that's in a sort of version of something like Warehouse 13, but more physical.
1: Yeah, more physical. I I wanted to, initially, it was kind of playing a very, like, I don't want to say heart-heavy, but, like, a guy with a good heart who happens to be, you know, I didn't want him to be a tragic figure, but I wanted him to be, like, a genuine person. Like, yeah. Uh, with, yeah. And that was kind of the starting point. And then mm-hmm. from there, I've been, you know, kind of built out. Uh, but yeah, I think so far I've gotten a lot out of that. Yeah. And mechanically, the game is like, yeah, it definitely plays to that. Like it doesn't, it doesn't, I, I, I think I, there's part of me that, that wishes I went. With a, uh, a daredevil, just for like, I don't know. Like, I don't know how to describe it because it's not like a, it's not a purely mechanics thing. I think it's just the whole the one thing that I find a little frustrating is uh, using uh, like using dramatic editing as a not like, which is balanced mechanically to uh, against the idea that uh, daredevils will have an easier time using it. Uh, Right,
0: so just for the people listening, um, in Trinity Continuum, talents have the uh, access to dramatic editing, they spend inspiration to, you know, one to three points typically to do some alteration to the story. Um, In uh, Adventure, they introduce the stalwart and the mesmerist, and because I guess they're supposed to be more physical or mentally focused... Um, they have to pay an extra fee, basically, of another point for any inspiration uh, for dramatic editing. So yeah, it's
1: much more expensive right. for them. And it's definitely not a thing. Like mechanically, like if I put my designer hat on, it it makes sense. Like mm-hmm. if I put on my fl- even though if I put on my flavor hat, it makes sense. That doesn't that doesn't mean that I'm like, hey, it's, but it does make me feel like since this was initially kind of part playtesting part you know just having having a good time uh part of me is like oh but now i don't get to use this thing as much Mm -hmm. that makes me like i I think it's that that whole not fear of missing out but kind of like in that vein of being like oh i wish i had this i wish i could do everything uh and so like from that perspective i think the game does a great job of making it so that everyone can kind of do something like it's not a singular, like, here's the best best choice, and here's the worst choice. It's like, okay, everyone mm-hmm. has their thing, mm-hmm. which is why I wanted to sometimes switch the thing that I do, uh, because they're all maybe not equally interesting all the time, but they definitely have, like, there are pros and cons. There are positives and negatives, which I think is a sign of a good, fun system, is that... You yeah, get that kind of feeling of
0: they're very distinctive. yeah. Um, I mean, they have game, like they have ideas for campaigns where you have a mix of like uh, Aeon characters and talents or uh, you know, aberrant level Novas or whatever they're called uh, and talents and stuff. And I can see it. like, on some level, uh, the narrative control is so open-ended if you're a particularly creative or inspired player, like, you could get so much mileage out of that. Um, But on the other hand, it requires more brain power than just saying, oh, I can lift a bus and throw it at somebody. Uh, It doesn't need that kind of sturdy reliability of, like, the physical or mental superpowers that some of the other characters have. Um, I would would say, if you wanted to get more out of the dramatic editing, uh, raise your inspiration. Because... That'll right be now, though, it's it's at the four. cost a bit. Oh, really? Yeah, right. yeah. How much is it for your powers?
1: Uh, it's just one each time I use any of the non. Was it? Mm-hmm. There, there are some that I can use just for, for well, not free, but uh, that just work based on you know I don't have to spend for. Mm-hmm. But the main ones take one point to, to use so hmm.
0: yeah yeah because if you only have four for a particular session or an adventure then you yeah, know that could be could be more of a, a cost analysis thing when you're like well I could spend two in order to get the effect of a one point dramatic edit or i can right. use my power
1: twice yeah so yeah, it, it's definitely like like I say, it's one of those things that I think it's also. I don't want to say it's just a me problem, but mm-hmm. it's it's one of those things that I think I have like specifically where I'm like, I wanted I want to play with all the toys, <laughs> and that sometimes <laughs> uh, that that makes me think, hey, did I when I made this choice? And obviously, like when I make the choice, I'm like, oh yeah, no, I'm willing to live with it, but that doesn't mean that I've I would I, I kind of know that I'm not always gonna be happy with it. You know what I'm saying? Like it's yeah. gonna come back and it's gonna make me go. But what if I did this instead? Right. Uh,
0: no, but there's a flexibility to the Daredevil's because of that. Um right. and so like reinforcing your concept as a Daredevil just means having your dramatic edit or your skill choice or your gift represent what you want to be good at. Whereas with uh with the stalwart, you're like really kind of settling in to say, okay, I'm gonna be able to fly, and I'm gonna be able to punch things real hard, or whatever. It's right. it's a little more fixed. But know I also get the feel, I understand totally how it is when you're like looking at other people's characters <laughs> and going, man.
1: Yeah, I I think my big thing is that. I know that as soon as I would it, like, if I was playing a Daredevil, I would not have the same number of ideas about cool ways of using it. Like what, uh, the other uh, like, oh yeah, like i was like, oh yeah, no, I have a great idea for this, and I guarantee, to you, that mm. if I was the one that could could, if I was the only one who could do it for one point, uh, I would somehow manage to like completely blank every every time. i would be like, oh yeah, no, here's the, you know. like just you know I'm being slightly facetious but not not incredibly facetious here like
0: just how my brain works yeah what what do you guys uh, Merle and Sam think about that is it easy to come up with dramatic editing in the moment or is it hard I'm crap at thinking on the spot
2: Uh, Merle what what did you say
4: it it depends on the moment sometimes something just kind of pops into my head fully formed uh, sometimes, like y'all have heard, sometimes I'm just flailing. <laughs>
1: you're, you're like, I want to do the thing. Uh, give me a chance to figure out what the thing is. Mm. Yep. Yeah.
4: how how can it be done? Uh, it's it it varies.
0: Yeah, I I find yeah it's weird, isn't it? Like as, as an outside participant, as the the game master, I think I find it easier to see ways to use it. That, like, I have to, like, hold my tongue sometimes from, like, saying, but just do this and you can get it. Um, because truly, like, uh, I don't know, if you're breaking into a place, like, you could say with dramatic editing, the the guard left the back door unlocked. And that'd be, like, a two-point edit. Um, those kinds of things, which were really powerful in light of, like, otherwise having to make skill rolls where you have to get successes and so on. Uh, in the more traditional role-playing game sense, um, there,
4: there are absolutely times where I overcomplicate things based on like, oh, I have to have like a creative, clever, funny way of doing this. Yeah, or, like, yeah, I, I tend to overlook. Oh, just they, they, like you said, they left the door unlocked,
0: or. Yeah, I don't know. There's like there's so many weird ways to use it. Um now that they've also included, um they have a Les Fantomese uh edition like supplement for Trinity Continuum, which introduces sort of heist rules, uh very much in the style of the role-playing game Leverage, which is based on the TV show, where you'd have uh flashbacks to fill in the blanks of how your characters accomplished something without having to spend the manpower or the brainpower to like plot everything out perfectly, which is a track that so many games get into when it comes to sort of procedural, you know, plotting kinds of stories.
1: Yeah, I definitely, uh, that was one of the things that I loved about the cortex, uh, leverage game was that it, it definitely was like, Hey, this is what you should do. This is what you, you know, go in there assuming that everyone is competent, and that everyone knows what the plan is, even if nobody, no player knows what the plan is. Yeah. And then, you know, work back from there, which, I don't want to say it's hard, because what it is, as if you've been gaming for a long time, it it's the opposite of how traditionally, uh <laughs> Gaming, I mean, especially a d focused like type game works. Mm-hmm. Like, normally you come up with a plan and then it, uh, then someone eventually fails a role and then it stops working. I mean, Shadowrun, yeah. yeah. we, it, I've joked a number of times about the Shadowrun plan of, you know, spend seven hours planning, uh, mm-hmm. fail the first role, uh, nothing matters anymore. Uh, we're winging it now uh sort of mm-hmm. things and it's just like I get it. Like I get it from a I don't even know how to describe it. I get it from like a habit point of view and I get it from like in the moment you're like you're really into this idea that the plan will work exactly how you think it will. Mm-hmm. But every time I do that, I regret doing it. So I've learned <laughs> I've learned slowly over two and a no. half decades to just not do it. To just say yeah. like okay, let's not do this.
0: I think it's the ability, the maturity, and the experience to to acknowledge that uh, the playset is not required, or, uh, certain elements of the playset are not required to get the effect that you want, or rather that uh, the worldview that a playset suggests, like D&D is, is very much based on around, you know, tactical minis combat, and... Right. It has other stuff in it, of course, but ultimately all of it is is about resource management and, like, the player having the responsibility of preparing the character ahead of time in such a way that they will be able to survive and perform competently. And if you don't, that's your fault. Or it's the DICE's fault. Like, um, there's no guarantee there. It doesn't have the safety net of this is how the fiction should work. It's like... Uh, our fiction is one in which adventures are randomly very incompetent and it's funny, um, which is fine. But in a, in a setting where you're not supposed to be like that, or at least you're, if you're not omnicompetent, you're at least like supposed to be reliably competent at something. Um, and it's supposed to feel like a particular specific uh, kind of band of fiction then uh, the story you're telling is going to feel better when it feels like that story, uh, that kind of story. The further it drifts from that, that's like far worse than just having like a total party kill in some way. <laughs> like it's um, just not getting what you wanted out of it at that right. point. And that's so much more important than what this system tells you is necessary. But when the system also is helping you to get what you want, all the better. So yeah. It's a it's a different mindset for sure. and I think honestly, uh, it, it's long past due that pe- more people are aware of it. <laughs> based on my own experiences in playing D and d with, you know, a mix of old and new players. Um, you don't have to suffer all the time. <laughs> you really don't. if you if you know what you want to have happen in the game and the game supports it, then make it happen. I don't. Don't go out of your way to try to make a formula to make sense of it. And I guess, on some level, like the dramatic editing is a kind of an attempt to create a very arbitrary, um, if somewhat consistent formula for, um, you know, changing the narrative uh, from the player's perspective. But I don't know, one to three is a pretty good simple reading system, one for a simple edit two for a moderate edit three for something just kind of out of nowhere over the top kind of thing. Like the villain is my twin brother or something. Um, yeah, but it. I, I also think it is kind of hard to do in the moment. It's much easier to see it from somebody else's perspective, which makes me wonder if like, it would be good to like have more suggestions from other players at times on that kind of stuff.
4: I would be 100% okay with that.
0: <sighs> yeah.
4: I, yeah. I, oh, yeah. no, that's, I, I have been begging for that,
3: honestly.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I think for me, like, <laughs> I feel bad just like jumping in with it. So mm. I would, I would feel much better, at least like from a player perspective. If you're like, hey, I don't have an idea right now, but yeah. I'd like to have an idea. Like, if you like, if I'm being asked, it's like, oh yeah, that that means that I'm not poo pooing your fun. Like, if I don't know. Maybe you have fun struggling with trying to figure out a way <laughs> yeah, to...
0: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, some, I, people, oh, some people I, do not like when you, you come in and give them a solution to a puzzle, because right. it feels like they've lost that experience. So, I can get why people would be upset if like, I just said, Hey, do this, dummy. That's, yeah. like, not helpful, <laughs> really.
3: Yeah, though, I'm there waiting. is... Um, one of my favorite... One of my like absolute favorite role-playing games has this function basically around the table where you have to spend a point to use it, which is just stupid and a function of exactly how stupid this game is. But um, they have what's called kibitzing, where for one point you can open up to the table and go, okay, I don't know what to do with these style points, or I don't know what to do in this situation that I have dramatic editing for. Mm-hmm. Can you... Does anybody else have a suggestion or does anybody else have like, you know, a direction they can just sort of nudge me in? Yeah. And then the table can discuss it. And it's like, I think the maximum is five minutes or something like that. And I wouldn't mind a kibitzing sort of thing, you know, without having to spend a point of inspiration for it. No, I think
0: that's like built in as far as I understand it. Like there's no rule that says you cannot discuss with your fellow players, what you're going to do or ask for ideas. Um, it depends it on like, yeah, it's just, it's just the table and also like how much of an adversarial or like opaque relationship you have with the game master. I know a lot of people like really don't like when the game master is telling the players exactly what's going on or like revealing secrets or collaborating. But I think it's kind of fundamental to this, this game that you have to have a collaborative attitude in general. Right. If you're, if you're really just going out there to like, screw with people or, like, quote-unquote challenge them, Um which is a concept I find kind of funny in relation to role-playing games for other reasons, but, like, there, there's, you know... Especially with dramatic heading, it's like, well, you say this happened, and I say it didn't happen, or I say something else happened because I thought it would be funny to ruin this idea of yours. It seems much worse in some ways than just like i'm gonna throw a really nasty bad guy at you it's more like your idea sucks or i'm going to supplant it or something anyway or
3: i'm gonna yeah. do this because i want to be the main character of this
0: so since you asked me for input then I'm yeah gonna say this
3: yeah. yeah yeah i
2: was gonna you say
0: to, you have to be willing to uh, share the spotlight for sure that's yo. that's the fun is seeing what everybody does it's not seeing just what you do if that's all you're into then it's probably not the game for you because that's all you're, you're into. Write a goddamn mm.
3: book and just leave the yeah. players alone.
0: Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Uh, because I feel really I don't really know. about
3: dominating this conversation. I I've been like talking No, much no, much no, this whole time.
0: I don't think so. And, no, I, yeah. Yeah,
3: I've I talking don't, more I don't believe that's
4: the case.
1: Alright. Uh, but yeah, I did have one story that I think sort of uh It's actually from uh our tour game. Uh mm-hmm. that puzzle that <laughs> I don't know if you, if you remember this, but I actually got one of the things I hate about solving puzzles is that players will sometimes go in and be bad at it, and just like <laughs> be bad at it very confidently,
2: uh-huh. and like, oh uh,
1: I mean, luckily we just happened to in a game that none of you guys were playing in, and that uh, that Mike was running, but it was definitely one of those moments where I ended up solving the puzzle like just I'm like. I don't want to listen to this anymore. I think I, I deafened myself, like, in Discord. <laughs> Solved the puzzle by myself and I was just like, oh yeah, no, it's this. Like, as soon as, uh, and it was just like, <laughs> Mike was like, yeah, no, he's right. Uh, but it wasn't like, I didn't think I was some su- sort of super brain genius. It just happened to be a, a puzzle that I could figure out. And I was a little surprised at first that that people were like I don't want to say they were getting it very wrong, because that feels like again, uh it feels like assuming too much when real in actuality it was just the fact that I saw generally how the puzzle went.
0: They like, were speaking about their plan and they were very wrong. So yes, you can say they were very yeah. wrong. It's not, well, not a like, judgment on their abilities or anything. It's just right. like ultimately That's one of the weird things about puzzles is that because they have an objective factual, like the solution, it's not like any solution will work. Usually you have to have the right one. Then people can be right or wrong, which means the players, since they're the ones doing the work, like can be good or bad at it. And then, yeah, that's one of the reasons people get frustrated with them. uh, Aside from just being annoyed with puzzles, Um, if you don't like them, you don't like them. But uh, the way they're presented in many role-playing games is pass-fail. Like, you do it or you right. don't. Um, and yeah, if you don't have the right... If, if they didn't have you in that group, what would have happened? I don't know. We might have to, like, try something else. Like, yeah. say, well, you guys aren't going to solve this today. Or you got it wrong and you take some damage or whatever. I mean, it it generally... It's a hard thing to do well. Oh, yeah.
1: And I definitely like. Mainly, I was, uh, I was trying to be like, okay, we were going at it, and, yeah. Long story short, it was one of those moments where I'm like, oh yeah, no, I'm good at, at some puzzles. Uh, I don't know why I was uh, good at that particular puzzle, but I saw the potential. Like I saw the directions, and well, I was like, why? Yeah. Why is he going in about clocks? Why are we talking about clocks? There's no clocks here. None. Of, nothing uh, here is yeah, clocks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, nope, that's, that's not it. A- that's
0: why I prefer transparency because right. you know as much as I like being surprised or not having spoilers or whatever, ultimately, like the amount of agony some people go through uh both as a player or a GM in order to maintain the illusion of verisimilitude or whatever um when you could just say, guys, this is not, this is unrelated to whatever we're supposed to be doing, or or this is not interesting to me, or you guys seem like you're stuck, or, you know, I don't know. Like you have to be able to say, yeah, this villain, you can do this to defeat him sometimes. Or, or just, yeah, make that suggestion of a way to solve something, or open it up to the players, flip it around the other way and say, all right, I'm not sure how we would go forward from here, how, what do you guys think? Um, is so much more interesting to me than being like cleverly, like you know, rubbing my hands together over my top secret notes about my head about what's going on in the background.
1: Would you be cackling or giggling while this is happening? I, I need it's, to.
0: Unfortunately, it's not. It's not on the level of a cackle. It's a giggle. Yeah. It's uh, okay. it's too pathetic to be.
1: <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely. I, I saw that that burned in my brain just as a moment of just like this is why I hate puzzles and games. Uh, but I think it's it's also like that level of it's not that anyone was particularly. I don't want to pretend that anyone like that no one could solve this puzzle but me. Mm-hmm. In the moment, I was the only one who who saw the line, so to speak. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it definitely like. It's one of those things where... I mean, it's the same thing with everything else. Like, I imagine that I'm the person who looks at a puzzle and goes, Fuck. I don't know. Clocks? uh, Arms? Pictures? Like, just sort of saying whatever comes to mind. Bless you. Uh, But yeah, just like... I can see myself in the other set of shoes going, Yeah, this this is frustrating as a player rather than having that moment of triumph and that I'd probably feel more likely again that I'd be in the other bucket, especially if I did not see the line. Like,
5: mm-hmm.
0: So uh, we have a mystery happening in the adventure right now. Um, in one of the episodes that was lost, uh, there was a cruise ship that was set aflame. And you're investigating it. You figured out that it's related to to Baron Orlock and some sort of heat ray. Um, that was a mystery. Uh, how did you guys feel about how that went?
1: I mean, I think overall it was it was pretty good because it didn't feel like it. It felt like there were many ways to get to the end.
4: Yeah, mm-hmm. we, we weren't like locked into if you don't find the one solution you, yeah. you, you're you dead that's it that's that's the end of the game that's there's mm-hmm. no other way forward
2: yeah and it and didn't it feel didn't sorry go feel ahead feel
3: like the usual kind of um role-playing puzzle where it's like we're going to spend an entire session just sort of going around the room and trying like random things in a in that sort of sierra game order
0: yeah it's kind of the escape room style of solutions where it's a group effort of people all trying things and then eventually stumbling across in it or that just which can be fun i think but it does run the risk of being well for one thing i don't have a lot of patience i think uh, pulp adventure is is well tuned to me because it is a, a genre that doesn't really dwell on details usually Mm -hmm. um it's fast moving typically and action oriented and so even in a mystery scenario i wanted that to be there had to be just nothing but forward motion i didn't want anything to be feel like it was like we're doing this again or this is a dead end why are we doing this like that that kind of feeling is always easier to handle in i guess a like board game or uh, like crossword or something. But, but in a, in a, uh, something's supposed to be a collaborative story that's emulating a particular genre. It starts to feel further and further from the thing you're trying to do when it is dragging.
3: Yeah. And I usually like, I'm very selective about GMs that I'll play with GMs that I very much trust to sort of like avoid that kind of dragging. Yeah. Um, especially, I think some of the first games I played with you as a GM were, uh, when you were going through a phase of playing a lot of gumshoe systems. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. we were doing Ashen Stars and there was one other one. Okay. Yeah. Oh, right. Knights Black Agents was the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that system is very much, very conducively, um, it's not you need to find this clue. It's you find a clue by doing one of these things.
0: Yeah. It's more like, what do you do now that you have the clue? It's not, yeah, uh, there's no question that the character will get a clue, which is also kind of how they handle it in the procedural um, rules for Trinity continuum. Um, where it emphasizes the idea that any attempt will result in information that helps move the plot forward because otherwise, what the hell are you doing?
1: Right.
3: Um, what a guy did once in a uh, cortex plus game I played where we spent almost an hour's worth of playtime and I pretty much checked out because they would not stop checking every inch of this one specific place Mm. because they thought there had to be clues there and there was nothing there and I, I almost just broke in and went look we're playing with a DM who knows Their shit. We, you know, if there was anything here to get, we'd get something. And if you wanted to do a specific thing, then they'd let you do that specific thing and get something out of it. You don't need to try every single combination of try key and lock until something (laughs) unlocks.
5: Yeah, right.
1: Put stick on door. Uh, Mm -hmm. This isn't a point and click adventure. Uh, Yeah,
5: right. But I I think also
1: it helps that when you're when th- there are co-authors it's a yeah. lot easier to kind of go along with whatever weird stuff they come up with while if you view it as like oh I'm the GM I'm the one who makes the story mm-hmm. like obviously you're the primary sort of like the stake setter for lack of a better word in the sense that uh the uh, The storyteller, GM, whatever, is the one who kind of sets the scene, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the rest of us then get to poke around with it, and as long as it gets us to the next scene, no one's going to complain too much. And it it works at, like, pulp stories work great like that. And if there is a detail that was important, you can always flash back to it, or have a moment to be like, oh yeah, that ring, that silly ring, or, you Mm -hmm. know... The dramatic zoom in on something that yeah. seemed like nothing at the time, but
0: well, it's you know, the ability to feel uh, intuitively what would make sense in that kind of story because it is a formula that you're familiar with, with tropes that people are aware of, and that and that the part of the fun in these kinds of collaborative games uh, is this the ability to recognize together what may not be overtly spoken but is is clearly an element of of the genre so you know it's it's a different it's like uh, exploratory fandom in a way where like you're you're in the story you're exploring how it works pushing against different parts to see how it goes as opposed to something where it, it is like you know the gm is god uh they're this like Theoretically objective, omnipotent entity who has like set up this clockwork universe that works perfectly and that has to like abide by very specific rules. And if you don't abide by those rules, you'll be punished for it. It's a very different mindset where it's like, yeah, I'm sort of your guide on this idea of a story, but you're getting to put in elements as almost a writer or uh, an artist in like in on a film set or something um contributing to what what would work better or what's more interesting for the audience because you're not only participating in it you are the audience so it's uh yeah it's a, it's a different mindset entirely
3: yeah i just um it, i'm of the opinion that the gm should never be the god of their world i'm of the opinion that the gm should um the GM is the binding that keeps everything together. And as you said, the guide,
2: Mm
3: -hmm. Um, very much not the God, but the person who is keeping the story together, Mm -hmm. um, who is keeping the story basically like sort of gently nudging it back towards the guardrails or something like that more Mm -hmm. than, um,
0: or at least keeping it totally consistent. Like, um, even in games that claim to be, objective or simulationist like ultimately the world view of the, the gm is going to influence every single decision made the outcome of everything is based on somebody's point of view um and i think part of the the fun in this particular game is taking the point of view of somebody that is writing If not like an uplifting story, at least like a more positive and, like we said, simple, straightforward kind of old-fashioned adventure story. Even Um, if it's
3: guarded, it's definitely we're firmly on the optimistic side of the fence.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm not like it's not a Disney movie, but it's it's still like definitely not my default cynicism and view of the world. In uh, (laughs) uh, has come out in other games. like, that that explore that end of the spectrum, like, the kind of despairing or uh, body-horror-ish or (laughs) psychologically disturbing things that I sometimes do in other games. I don't have to do that here. Like, it's, you know, there might be little elements of horror here and there, but I I think, generally speaking, it's about having fun, seeing these characters that we enjoy um, go out and, uh, you know, have interesting adventures. And, you know, that doesn't mean they're always, like, getting everything they want but on the it's mostly gonna fall on their side because they're the good guys
3: yeah and that that's actually uh in the past i, I um i've ended up sort of like pushing against that when we've played mm-hmm. really hard um which i'd like to apologize for now formally yeah, that's okay um
0: no, it's it's a part of uh, like so much of our personalities and worldview is expressed, whether we're aware of it or oh, not, yeah. in these games because everybody's playing something they want to be, or at least are interested in exploring. Like once you make a character, you've told me so much more about yourself than you would probably to to many people in your life. <laughs> I think, in a weird way, um, and it's a kind of a, a trust a covenant unspoken, perhaps that, you know, I'm safeguarding that and we'll treat it respectfully rather than just, you know, trashing it because I feel like it. Um Yeah. And,
3: which is something I struggled with in the past,
0: but I think, well, yeah, I think there's a buy in of the players saying, oh yeah, I'm also interested in this kind of story. Or if you're reacting against it, then yeah, it can become a struggle. Like it becomes like a contentious, or at least somewhat charged, like tension of, will I be able to make this story work the way I think it should, as opposed to what you think it should, which I've had those experiences with GMs, even ones that I've liked. And it's not great because it starts to feel like a different level of antagonism, as opposed to like, just the traditional, like, I don't have enough points in my character to defeat the bad guy kind of antagonism. Yeah, which is its own fun. That would, it, it is such so simple compared to the the narrative antagonism, like yeah. saying, "Oh, I made a character who's good at beating up your monsters." Uh, it's like that's straightforward, you know. Yeah, You play with a group like that, you understand what they're there for. So you you either you're there for it or you're not, and whatever. Like you can adjust your style of of running and just look at numbers to to make it, you know more mm-hmm. of a challenge but when it's like i just objectively i i object to what your premise is <laughs> like um you know that's that you
3: can't see it and they can't hear it but i am cringing so hard right now yeah i mean <laughs> look yeah no these two I, these two didn't uh, know me back when i was like uh-huh. high as shit and Doing that mm-hmm. like every single game, mm-hmm. I don't even know why the hell I was doing it. I was there for
1: one of them. I don't. Know yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs>
3: Which one of them was that? Jesus.
1: Uh, 13th page. Probably not oh, one yeah, of your worst that. ones, but that was.
3: Yeah. No. That uh, was that. just uh, my natural prejudice against elves, just bleeding into everything.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: That was some. Uh, that
0: one. That one was. Yeah. That was a very strong expression of uh player. Uh, well not even collectively like individually like having very different ideas about what should be happening in the world okay. yeah that, that was also um it was
3: at a time where uh i let a certain amount of um i, I just when you come out of a really really like rough situation mm-hmm. then everything is the best thing ever and all of your thoughts feel so free and so wonderful yeah and yeah. so yes. what ended up happening was i was basically playing off the natural abilities and sort of this like who fears mm-hmm. death nonsense <laughs> while vibing on my own bullshit and yeah no the the joke in like among my larp friends is uh you know what what you need to know about Sam is they hate elves What you mean their character no no we don't yeah
1: that would that would that would have been good to know before i made an elf uh
3: yeah, that that was before, like...
1: before. oh what? Like a a third of the table made elves. Uh, that was it. it, it was unfortunate. A
3: good, it well, was also, a good like three quarters of the table were elves,
0: and it was a campaign about elves. Yes, yes.
3: and it was a campaign about elves.
0: So <laughs> it, it was. It was actually strangely enjoyable. Like I think people's enthusiasm for their ideas outweighed any of that antagonism. Like. Yeah. Also, they gave
3: me control of the uh, lore book, which was uh-huh. kind of. I, it, I,
0: I yeah. That wasn't as big a deal as you might think it was. Like, I think no, ultimately it, in play, like the characters expressed themselves naturally. I felt like people were being honest oh, yeah. with their characters, and like even if I didn't like those depictions necessarily all the time, like that was just the way it was, and I kind of accepted that with that game, and yeah. it went better I mean, that way. Silly helped me like
3: sort of reintegrate to the table, especially after um, I got to reroll from assassin to fighter and like they take something that I understood a lot more. Sure. Um, but yeah, yeah that, that's uh, anyways, I forgot you were there for that one. Anyway, sorry, yeah, getting off. Yeah, that was that the... was
1: that is a game from long ago mm-hmm. in the before times. Uh,
0: Anyway, yeah, so I was, that's what that was, we're talking about. <laughs> that was when uh, this house was still new to me. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the podcast, what you guys are interested in, what you want to do with your characters, what you're curious about. Um, any ideas?
3: Uh, well, first I want to figure out this heat ray nonsense. I'm like really looking forward to like, Mm -hmm. leaping on top of another super weapon of death Sure, (laughs) that's pretty much guaranteed so yeah um, out of the character though I I've been trying to figure out a good direction and a good like sort of longer term Mm -hmm. goal because even if nobody else around the table is confused with what the hell I'm doing I'm confused with what the hell I'm doing and we're just like (laughs) a bunch of things I want to sort of like I could branch into Mm -hmm. I could go into. So I'm, I think I'm basically going to sort of like take that whole, I haven't retired yet. I am my own pulp hero, which I took from a lovely book that I've referenced at least once before earlier tonight. um, The Chinatown death cloud peril by uh, Paul Malmont, um, Mm -hmm. which is basically like all these pulp heroes, like getting into the kind of scrapes that they are or all these pulp writers getting into the kind of scrapes that the uh, pulp heroes would do. And he wrote a second, not as good one about like the uh, golden age of science fiction, but mm. basically like having her sort of like as sort of pulp changes and as she changes sort of like moving more into super science that she gets the science fiction thing, hmm. from, like playing into that whole writers have to write for whatever market's popular. Sure. And so there's this new market. So now you know Sam Steele gets a lightsaber, and she gets like her her like folding blade now gets like energy capabilities or something like that, or putting points into aim. Yeah, we've we've
0: been pretty yeah we've been pretty um, grounded, relatively speaking. Like I don't have a lot of like steampunky stuff or like overtly science fiction or fantasy elements, even though it's perfectly fine in this setting. And um, I don't want to
3: go full into that, but I do want to explore that more.
0: No, but I think yeah. that's perfectly makes sense as an expansion because like we've been getting into the Aeon Society and that, that whole meta plot with the different personalities driving that, um, at least having them interact with the characters really, instead of just kind of being distant. Um, so that, that opens a couple of new windows for sure. And we also talked about. How we like the uh, Assassin's book that came out for Trinity Continuum and how that has its own interesting sort of depiction of a sort of second tier underworld lying underneath the real underworld, uh, John Wick style. Um, and yeah, no, my main. Um...
3: Yeah, I'm just going to go with what I go call this. Uh, my main like point of entry for. Vintage media was um a lot of like detective films and Hitchcock stuff and like all of that. So that that was like how I sort of backdoored into the rest of it. So a little bit of that might be cool. I don't know.
0: Yeah, some noir or at least uh, crime stories.
2: Right. Yeah, Ryan. yeah I, I will say like
1: uh, for for Shay as a character, part of me wants to lean a little bit more into just, like, being, for lack of a better term, sort of coming to grips with the fact that he is, like, he can be the superhero that he feels he the world needs. Yeah. Like, obviously, he's not gonna go it's not gonna get to the point of, like, full Superman or anything like that. Full modern Superman. But just the idea that he does, like, uh without getting too much into uh, other comic books, I am... I've always been a giant fan of the idea of Spider-Man, uh, mm-hmm. more so than any of the direct comics or anything like that. Like, just, like, mm-hmm. a character that, that, you know, with uh, just that line, with great power comes great responsibility. And that line has always stuck with me. Like, even if it, even yeah. if it is a, you know, vaguely cheesy line every once in a while, like, it, it's... Uh, it's definitely something that I kind of built the character's powers around. Was like, yeah. oh yeah, no, you've got this you've got this thing that you should be doing with yeah. this. So that was kinda mm-hmm. that's the direction that I want to go, but it yeah, it's definitely I try to keep it a little bit open because each the way to be here in each moment is always different. Like it's not just like Sure. I don't want all the all the problems to be solved by punching. That that mm-hmm. feels Yeah. Uh, you know, that that always feels like, I don't even know how to describe it, it feels disappointing. I, I think that's the, the big word. Mm-hmm. It's like,
5: yeah.
1: if every problem can be solved by punching it, uh, why haven't I solved all the world's problems yet? I'm really good at punching things. Like, it makes more sense.
0: We explore more of his role as a community leader. Um, right. And how he, he it helps out uh, the movements that he's interested in. It takes proactive action in relation to that. That that's definitely uh, possible.
1: Yeah, and it, it also, it, you know, not to bring up the sad thing that we lost, but uh, we did uh, we did a bit of that in the last session uh, that I I really enjoyed, and uh, no one's going to get to hear it. The, the
0: discussion with the labor guy.
1: Yeah, the the baseball mm. stuff.
0: Yeah. They went Uh, to uh, just (laughs) what you missed was Shay went to a baseball game with the leader of a local, I think it's an Iron Workers Union. Um, They were they went they were in Chicago and he uh, had a chat with him about the situation there and it was pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, it was it it was you know I'm not going to pretend that it was you know the greatest thing ever and that actually no you know what no one's going to hear it so yes I'm going to pretend it was was the greatest yes. Yeah, uh, but It, it was,
3: was interesting character moment
0: Yeah, because like, yeah, in a yeah. game that's been mostly action What you guys have been hearing in the podcast There's a lot of them running around and punching and shooting things But we have had slower moments that we just haven't Either we didn't have the podcast started yet Or we've lost the episodes um, We've
3: lost the slice of life session, haven't we?
0: Yeah, yeah. Summon Sucks. a batch Yeah but um, can, certainly, to. there's nothing keeping us from from continuing with that in future episodes. So certainly, yeah, yeah it's just a matter of pacing, really, just like slowing things down and knowing when to speed it up and so on.
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, I was definitely digging that last se- last session we had, and so mm-hmm. I wanted to bring it up again because that's
0: yeah, an yeah. ideal
1: direction. Cool.
2: All right, we'll, we'll see if yeah. we can do more of that.
4: See, for me, I'd like to keep Jean Pierre a a fairly lovable fairly lovable rogue. Yeah. Uh, I just feel like where he's going with that he's he's not he's a little flaky. He's not too uh, serious into anything. He's got mm-hmm. world contacts that may change. Like yeah, I I want to see him develop wherever the story takes him, as, sure. well as trying to push him in a direction.
0: Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. We'll probably see some of his old um, enemies show up again relatively soon.
4: And, uh, though, I, for one thing, I do want to eventually, like, as far as he's concerned, he is a coward.
2: From right. From
4: a player perspective, that is incorrect. Mm hmm. So he's going to eventually, in character, need to realize, at least to some extent, that he's not correct about
0: that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, one thing that you should think about is how you can contribute in action scenes that don't require a sort of traditional role-playing like tactical combat thinking. Because this game is, is fluid enough and open enough that you can make any kind of role and affect the, the scene. And it doesn't have to be punching or shooting people um you know yeah. what i mean
4: yeah that's my, yeah. one of my favorite things to do with him is have uh jean-pierre keep talking yeah dispatch the heck out of the enemies
0: yes yeah that's the fast talk you come in really handy yeah
2: yeah okay
0: cool well, uh, I think we can we can start wrapping up here. Is there anything else you guys wanted to talk about or bring up? Things you wanted to point yeah. out or questions you had?
3: No, uh not really. Um, well, to all those out here, there who hear this, uh, thanks for listening. Yeah, and we're glad yeah. to have you with us.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's a lot of work, but I really enjoy sharing this with people, and I hope you're getting some enjoyment out of it. Um, and who knows where we would go next? This, this may not be just one type of story. At some point, we might venture into other corners of trinity continuum or even other systems or settings. But, um, yeah, same format.
3: Okay, I've got uh, i I've got relatives lined up.
0: So. <laughs> 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 yeah, legacy. I mean, check fan.
4: Guess we're gonna steal a spaceship let's go to other planets full on flying saucer we stay we we (laughs) jack that thing from area 51 which doesn't actually (laughs) exist yet you know what I mean I'm going
3: to have to start (laughs) ranting about John Campbell
4: yep
0: alright something to look forward to yep so so we'll see you next time on chapter plays Um, we're picking up with the mystery of the morrow castle and the heat ray of Baron Orlock uh, I'll try to fill in some of the gaps at the, the start of the next session since we're missing some things but um, hope you enjoy it thanks
3: thanks very much, take care take care
1: bye uh, later
0: you've been listening to Chapter Plays an actual play podcast based on Onyx Path Games Trinity Continuum Adventure with an exclamation point The role-playing game of pulp action. You can reach us with your thoughts and suggestions at gadget extraction team at gmail.com.